Father, in the name of Jesus, we want to thank you and praise you for this beautiful day. We want to thank you for the beautiful rain that you're going to send tonight and tomorrow. Lord, with all these beautiful clouds, we won't dare let these clouds go over without making them produce water. Lord, so in the name of Jesus, we say that those clouds are going to drop good rainfall all over this area. Because you said as your church, the body of Christ, we have been given dominion and authority. And you say anything we say in your name, you will do it for us. So, Father, we praise you and thank you that, you're, that the water is going to come forth out of these clouds. And it's not going to be destructive, but it's going to rain nice and slow for a de- tonight and tomorrow. And, Lord, we ask you to really put some good uh, water in the next uh, 24 to 36 hours onto this earth around here and Lord to fill up the stock tanks and to, to let the creeks and the rivers run and put water back in these lakes Lord which are so low Father we praise you and thank you that you're the king of kings and lord of lords and by faith we call it done in the name of Jesus the king of kings and Lord as we study your word tonight open our hearts open our understanding open our minds to the words tonight that we may see the, the in-depth, the spiritual things that you have for us in your Word. And may you bless us abundantly as we open your Word. Because, Lord, when we open your Word, we are with you because you and the Word are one. So, Lord, thank you for blessing us with your Word tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Okay, did anybody have a great day today or a great week this week or a mighty testimony that you want to share with us before we get started tonight? Anybody have anything? Ty got one? Oh, yeah. oh, praise the King. Lord of mercy, come up here and tell us what Jesus has done. Let me get this on. If I can. Okay, there we are. We're on. Okay. Yeah, we serve an awesome what? God. Oh, man, Maybe do we? He tells you Mark 4.24, if you want a gift and you ask me for it, I'll impart it upon you and you've got to use that gift. And if you don't use it, He says, I'll take it away from you and give it to someone else. And it's a parable of the sower. It's a parable of the talents. And it's so, so true. Yesterday I was out uh, looking at some land. And there was this man who was crippled that was showing us, showing us this land. And when we started to leave, I said, I'd like to pray for you. Because the Holy Spirit told me to. And basically I was just being sensitive. And the Holy Spirit said, Ty, I want you to pray for him. And this man had been used tremendously by the Lord this last couple of years. He'd helped form over 65 churches, uh, these cowboy churches you hear about. And he was instrumental in these. And, but he's an old, old Baptist boy, and, and, and he had a little time, hard time with, with uh, the gifts of healing. I, so I told him, I said, I, said uh, I want to pray for you. So I had a good friend of mine, Mike Johnson over here, and I said, uh, well, I'm going to tell you the secret. So the secret is all you got to do is repent, and then Dad will forgive you, and He'll heal you. So all it is, the last chapter of Luke, Jesus came back to the raised from the dead, and He told His disciples, He said, this is what I want you to preach. I want you to preach the law, God's Word, is spoken through Moses and the prophets, and I want you to preach repentance and remission, repentance and forgiveness of sin. So I said, all you've got to do is repent, and Dad will do the rest. Amen. So I asked this man if he would repent, and so he did. I prayed for him. 
Then we got in our airplane and we flew off. He walked into the airport. She said, I want to go in and see some friends. He said, well, the moment I walked in that airport, all of a sudden this warmth came all over my whole body. And all of a sudden I started feeling this heat in my knees and in my ankle. And he said, I hadn't slept in the last couple of years a whole night. He said, last night I slept the whole night long and today there's no pain at all. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. So he told me, he said, I just want to call him thank you. I said, no, no, thank me. Thank Jesus. He's the healer. Amen. He said, well, I know, but I, I, I just, I've never had anything like this happen before. <laughs> I said, well, Jesus' Word said it. Amen. And that's the only thing I stand on. And if Daddy said it, then it can happen. And so I just want to encourage all of y'all. The last night I had another man call me from Houston. And this man had been seeking the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So I said, Mike, Mike can come over to the house last night. I said, Mike, speak to this old boy on the phone. Mike got hold of this guy. <laughs> and the spirit of joy that we were already drunk in the spirit. Now, y'all don't know what being drunk in the spirit is. Just ask the Holy Spirit to, to do it to you. <laughs> it's better than any better than any whiskey or any wine I've ever drank. I can tell you right now. <laughs> and there's no hangover <laughs> except the good kind where you just feel good. <laughs> I never forget one day my sister got baptized in the Holy Spirit. She got the spirit of laughter one day, and uh, she told the kids we're going to go to listen to this evangelist before we go to Six Flags. Well, he laid hands on her, and the spirit of joy and laughter came up on her. The whole rest of the day, she was laughing and giggling like a little kid. There's six flags. <laughs> it's just joy. It's love, joy, and peace. So, we, so Mike and I started praying for this old boy over the phone. We got him on the speakerphone. My Latinos who this was. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Holy Spirit baptized him. <laughs> oh, my he was speaking in tongues, praising the Lord. And then the Spirit of joy came up, and we left him just laughing and giggling like a little child. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Oh, right. glory That's to right. God. Don't get much better than that, does it? <laughs> it don't get any better than that. Praise the Lord. Praise yeah. the Lord. Wow. So today I had a lady call me from Baltimore. And this old lady, was she was... She, <laughs> This is this oh, my. Oh, okay. So May, May was on the phone. She says, Ty. I said, I'm, I'm just about giving up. She said, I'm, she, she said, I'm dying. I said, I'm so, so scared. I said, May, I want you just to ask Jesus to take that fear. Ask Jesus to take the pain. And I began crying. And she started asking Jesus to take that pain. Then I hold hold this right here. <laughs> I did something I saw Mike do last night. It's really funny. I said, I <laughs> just said, Holy Spirit, I'm going to send you through this telephone into this woman. <laughs> and I just rubbed my hands. Praise the Lord. I said, okay now, mate. So put your hands in there. <laughs> I said, oh, she said, in my air, Pastor? I said, yeah, put them in the air. She said, okay, Pastor. So she said, you in the air? She says, yeah. So I'm going to give you a spirit of joy. And I just went, now, take it. <laughs> Into that cell phone. All of a sudden, she starts giggling. My mama's sitting there listening. And she starts giggling. <laughs> spirit of joy came on both these women. <laughs> hey, yeah, praise the Lord. Daddy took the fear. Daddy took the fear away from this lady. All we got to do 
He's just praise the Lord. And he's sensitive to his voice when he says, Hey, Ty, or Dave, or whoever, stop. Pray for this person. He does the rest. It's Daddy the Wow. <laughs> praise the Lord. Glory. My goodness, well, all that. I mean, I mean, he had too much fun this week. There ain't no use. Nobody get to have that much fun in one week. <laughs> oh, goodness. But see, that's the kind of fun all of us are supposed to be having. We're supposed to be having so much fun serving Jesus. You know, I mean, really, we're supposed to be having so much fun serving the Lord. And, and we have fun, all right. I have lots of fun serving the Lord. But I didn't get to have that much, I guess I should say. Not as much as... Yeah. I, well, I had lots of fun. I had lots of fun, all right, you know. Uh yeah, I mean, man, there ain't, ain't nothing like that kind of fun, is there? I mean, that is that is really having fun with the Lord. And, of course, I've had weeks like that and days like that, you know, where that, uh, you know, you pray for people and God just steps out and does so many awesome things. And, I mean, when you go back and you think about when you see the Lord do those kind of things, like for that Baptist man, uh, you know, to heal him and everything, you know, when you pray for people that really have so little faith or no faith, you know, you love it when you see God do those kind of things. And, I mean, He'll use your faith. There's times when you'll pray for people that the people may not even be Christians and that they may have absolutely no faith. And you'll get to see God do awesome things. And, you know, I've done that so many times in my life, and I think about well, some of the awesome miracles that God has done. You know, when Ty told that one about that little Baptist guy, of course, he was a churchgoer. But, you know, the day that I prayed for that woman out there on the airport that had burned her arm so bad, I don't think that woman even knew who Jesus was. I mean, she had, you know, fell into that big oven and burned all the skin off the bottom of her arm, screaming. And I go running up there and throw my hands on her, begin to quote the Word of God, and he immediately takes the pain. And stops the pain, and so she won't even go to the doctor. And the next morning, the very next morning, the woman wakes up with a perfectly, totally, completely healed arm. You know, I mean, all the skin was burned off of her arm. And I told her, I mean, you know, when I think about that magnificent verse of Mark eleven twenty three, hear this. Now, this is where we need to walk as Christians. We need to start doing what the Lord tells us. Because that evening when I heard this woman screaming, I went running down there. Well, everybody in the place, which and there were several Christians that were there, but they were all grabbing the first aid kit and wanting to call 911 and all this kind of stuff. Well, you know, we got the greatest 911 doctor in the world. You know, it's our King Jesus. So I ran up there and grabbed this woman by the other arm. And, of course, I quoted Isaiah 53, 4. And in that, I said that, you know, that, of course, the translation, you can't get this from most English translations when you read it. But if you check it in the Hebrew, you'll find out that the word he uses there, that he bore our pain. So when you find out that Jesus bore our pain, then you call him in remembrance of his promise. So I said, ma'am, according to Isaiah 53, 4, Jesus bore your pain. So you won't have to bear it. Then I said, according to Mark 16, 18, Jesus said, I can lay my hands on you and he'll heal you. But I said, I don't know how long it'll take him to do it like that. 
But I said, Mark eleven twenty three. he says, whatever I say with my mouth, if I believe with my heart, I can have it. So I said, ma'am, I guarantee that you'll get a supernatural healing from the king and his name is Jesus. And that's what I quoted. Well, I mean, I just turned and walked off. I said, okay, I've done like Ty, like how many times have I heard him say, you do the natural and God does the supernatural. Well, I've done all I can do now. I mean, I've quoted the word. I mean, I've, as a son of God on this earth, I've done my part. Now it's in his ballpark. It's his ball game. So I just walked off and guaranteed her she'd get a supernatural healing from the king. And ever since I've learned that God says, when you ask for something, you must ask in faith, nothing wavering. So if I walk off saying, well, ma'am, I'm not sure what he's going to do. Maybe if you're lucky, he'll do something for you. I don't think that pleases the king. I think it pleases the king when I guarantee you that he's going to do what he said he'd do in his word. And so by walking off, I mean, in minutes, I mean, the pain was completely gone in this woman's arm. And she wouldn't even go to a doctor. And, of course, that evening, she served the evening meal. And everybody that come in saw the big burn on her arm. All the skin burned off and everything. And everybody wanted to know how come she won't, first wanted to know what happened. And when she would tell them, I was up there that evening when some of the people were eating. And I heard her tell different, several different people what she had done. She fell in that oven. She never mentioned to anybody that I'd prayed for her because I don't know if she even remembered it or not. She didn't have a clue. She just said what happened. But she said, there's no pain, so I'm not going to the doctor. Well, whenever she got home, her husband saw it the same way. And, of course, you know, he said, I'll take you to the doctor. And she says, no, it don't hurt. He said, if it bothers me tomorrow, I'll go. But when she woke up the next morning, there was not a mark on her arm. Not a mark. I'm telling you, that's the Jesus we serve, isn't it? That's Jesus. Only the king can do those kind of things. And, of course, the next day... When she came back to work, Melanie, one of the little girls that worked there in the hot foods out there at Sky Chef, she had come into my office many times. When I met her, she had been beat up on by the enemy. Uh, she had been married and divorced, I don't know, two or three or four times. I don't know. And had two or three or four children. I don't know that either. I don't remember. But I just know she had been beat up on by the devil. And uh, I gave her one of my tapes. One time I had a little cassette in my pocket, and it's called The Rewards of Christ. And so I just told her, I said, I want you to take this home, listen to it. And so she took it and she left and went home and she, it's 90 minutes long. And as she was listening to the rewards of Christ, she got home and lived about 30 minutes from the airport. But she said, I sat out in the car for an hour and a half and listened to that tape. I couldn't possibly stop it. She said, it changed my life forever. Well, after she saw God do this miracle of healing, the little girl later went to Bible school and graduated, and now she's teaching the Word of God. So it changed her life dramatically. She sent me an email here a while back and said, Sister Thurman, after I had the experience with you and God at Skyshelf, she said, I can never be the same. Well, let me tell you, as a born-again Christian, if anybody you're around, if you're around them very long, they should never be the same because of what they see God do through you. Because we serve a supernatural God. I mean, He is awesome. And just like Ty. Ty prayed for that guy. And then he did what he could do. Now it's in God's court. You know, now then once he prayed in faith, God's got the right to heal that guy. 
and touch him, I mean, and just do a great and mighty work in his life. Now, what if Ty had a knot? He said, well, I'm thinking, well, he's just a Baptist deacon, or Baptist, he probably won't receive it anyway, so I ain't going to pray for him. See, look at the miracle he would have missed. But he didn't miss it. You know, don't ever miss the opportunity to pray for somebody or lay hands on somebody because until you start doing it, just like I walked into a Sunday school class of a group of men here a while back, and as I walked by the door, really, one of them called me in. I was in another church, and this guy called me, and he said, Thurman Scrivener, come in here. I said, okay. I walked in. I said, what can I do for you? He said, why is it when you lay hands on people, they get healed? And I said, well, let me ask you a question. Before I answer that, have you ever laid hands on anybody expecting God to heal them? He said, no. I said, well, when you start laying hands on people and expecting God to do something, he'll show up. But I said, as long as you don't ever believe he's going to do anything, I said, the devil has deceived you and defeated you, and he's got you right where he wants you. But I said, if every sick person you see, I don't care who it is, if you just go over and say, can I pray for you? I just want to lay hands on you. I mean, I think about coming back in an airplane here a while back. We were flying commercial, and we were coming back, and there was a baby just screaming right behind me. I mean, this little guy's ears, I know we started down, his ears are popping, and he don't understand this. So he's just screaming and screaming and screaming. And I listened to it, and all of a sudden I thought, what am I putting up with this nonsense for? I said, Father, in the name of Jesus... Take that pain for that little baby and open his ears. I said, thank you, Lord. And bam, just like that, the baby stopped crying. I mean, I thought to myself, how long did it take me? Why was I so slow, Rosemary? We, don't we do that? We, we just, we are so dense sometimes. You know, here somebody has a need when we got a God that says, anything you ask in my name, I will do it for you. You know, and here we are. We don't, you know, we just suffer. And we let people behind it. Well, I don't know who they are. That baby's screaming. For the first ten minutes of descent, this little guy's screaming. I mean, it was just, I mean, screaming. And I know, I've been a pilot a long time. I've done a lot of flying. I know what's going on in that little guy's ears. You know, it's not really that painful, but it's discomfort. It's uncomfortable from what they've been used to. And if they had a little bit of cold or something, Probably mom and daddy had no clue that they could lay hands on their children and get them healed. Nobody ever told them that. Even good Christians don't know that. You know, so they don't do that. And so all I got to do is think, well, Jesus, you said in John 14, 13, 14, anything I ask the Father in the name of Jesus, you'll do it for me. So I said, Father, since you've made me a promise, I ask you to take care of that little guy's ears and make him comfortable in the name of Jesus. Now, Lord, I want to thank you. It's done in Jesus' name. Bam. Literally, I stopped crying just like that. So, what if I had not asked? He wouldn't do anything. The Lord only asks. That's why He tells us to knock, seek, and ask, and keep on knocking, seeking, and asking. Because them that knock, seek, and ask, you shall get your answer. You know, so, but, and sometimes it may seem like, well, Lord, I'm knocking a long time. Well, don't stop knocking. You know, if you go up to a house and you tap on the door, ding, ding, and nobody comes to the door, and you think, I hear them in there. I know somebody's in there, so you tap, tap a little louder, and nothing. And all of a sudden, you, they got the television on loud, so you say, bam, bam. Whoa, somebody comes to the door. You know, they didn't hear you the first two or three times. So sometimes that's kind of the way you got to do it. 
I mean, you just don't ever quit knocking, asking, and praising the king for your answer. Because your answer is always yes and amen if you're walking in obedience to the Word. Now, if you're walking out of faith with the Word, it won't work for you. You've got to be walking in obedience to God's Word. So if you're walking in obedience to God's Word, when you ask, I look back there at Oscar shaking his head back there, and we was just talking to him while ago. I was thinking about, of course, he'd been coming here to Bible study for quite a while. He's a police officer in Dallas. And I think about the story he told us. And he said, one day he's going to bring us the video because they carry cameras in their cars. How he said that this guy had raped this little girl, a little nine-year-old girl. And he happened to drive up and catch them in the act. And, of course, the guy sped off. And, and he couldn't catch the guy. And he thought, he's driving down the road thinking, oh, my gosh, this guy's going to kill somebody and all this kind of stuff. And in a little while, he said, what am I doing saying this? He said, Father, in Jesus' name, send an angel to stop that guy. And I think he didn't hardly get that out of his mouth till the guy run under. It was a truck or a school bus or something. A truck, wasn't it? A school bus. The guy ran around the corner, ran right under the edge of a school bus and stopped him dead in the water. I mean, you know. Instead of saying, oh, God, this guy's going to kill somebody. He'd been here long enough and heard enough of my teachings to say, Lord, I can have whatever I say. What am I saying? The wrong thing. So he said, Lord, send an angel and stop that guy. And he said, bam, the Lord, just like that, stopped that guy. And he went up there and caught him and everything. Hey, it makes, it's wonderful, isn't it? It is absolutely wonderful. How that when you're, if there's anybody that needs the power of God working in their life, it's a police officer in Dallas. Let me tell you, you need the power of God to call upon when you're out there with them demons of hell all over the place. And you don't hesitate to call on the king now, do you? No, you call on the king regularly. But see, it makes no difference what walk of life you're in. I mean, you may be a secretary. You know, you may be a custodian somewhere. You may be a business executive. Who knows what? You may be a doctor or a mechanic or anything. It makes it what you are. As a son or a daughter of God, you've got the name of Jesus to call upon. And when you're walking and obedient to His Word, He will hear your prayer. And He will change your life and everything around you when you get to where you believe Him. So now then, but Jesus is so wonderful. I love serving the King, don't you? I love seeing Him do all these wonderful things. Ty had a, Ty, they had a great week together, it sounds like, this week. Wow. Woo. But you put two guys together that know Jesus out there, the devil's in trouble. I tell you, praise God. It's so much fun. Now then, we're going to go into First Timothy, and we're going to go to chapter 5, and we're going to start here in verse 24. It says here, some men's sins are open beforehand. They're going before to judgment. And some, some men, they follow after. Now then, think about what he's saying here. Some men, when they sin, God judges them immediately for what they do. But some of them, it takes a while for it to catch up with you. But your sins will catch up with you. I can assure you. I I think about people that started sinning. And I've seen this now in lots of cases over the years as I've been serving the Lord. I've seen people start sinning and little by little 
it doesn't appear that they're being judged. You'll, you'll not see any major thing. You might see one guy do something and the same thing. And when he commits a sin, he gets caught right off the bat and maybe sickness and disease or something comes upon him. Or, or maybe, maybe this guy, maybe he's a Christian, he goes out and maybe he goes out and maybe let's just say, let's just take something that's so prevalent today. A guy that's a Christian, he goes out and he runs around with one or two or three girls, has sex with them and catches a venereal disease. And maybe it's a really critical one that you can't be healed of. Causes all kinds of problems. His sin caught him just like that. Maybe another guy, he run around on his wife for ten years. And it didn't appear. Nothing ever happened. And somebody think, well, I know whatever, Jack or Bob or whoever, and he ran around on his wife just one time. Or maybe he wasn't even married. He just went downtown and met a girl that was running around that was a prostitute or something. And he went to bed with one or two, and he caught a venereal disease, and it's incurable. He got caught real quick. But this other guy ran around his wife for ten years. One or two of the guys said, well, he's running around on his wife, but nothing's happening to him. But ten years later, he comes down with a very critical case of cancer, and he dies in about 30 days. Let me tell you, it caught up with him. It doesn't make any difference who you are. Your sins will catch up with you. And it will bring sickness and disease and death to you because God said in His Word that sin brings forth death. So if you want to die early, just start sinning and keep it up. It will bring forth death. Now, of course, the sex sin that we talk about, God says this is the only sin that a person sins that is against their own body. It's the only sin that's against your own body. Now, think about this. Every time you join yourself to someone that's not your spouse, you're absolutely joining Christ to a prostitute. You know, I don't care whether you're male or female. You know, Christ is in you, and if you were to have sex with somebody that you were not married to, you're joining yourself to a prostitute, and you're prostituting yourself and your body. And Jesus said in His Word, He says in His Word, these sins will catch up with you, and they will destroy your flesh. Jesus said in His Word in 1 Corinthians 3 and 1 Corinthians 6, that if you sin against your body sexually, He said, I will destroy your body. Now then, you know, I've had many experiences with people, especially young people, that said they were Christians that had moved in with a boy or a girl, and I go sit down and talk with them and tell them that what they're doing is wrong. And sometimes, like the one girl, I mean, this girl was a, a beautiful girl. Uh, she, had, she was a virgin, and she went graduated from high school and went to college. And the first year of college, she started going with the uh, quarterback on one of the football teams there. He was a good-looking, handsome young man, I'll say. But he kept wanting to have sex with her, and she said, No, I'm not that kind of girl. I don't do that. And finally, he enticed her and convinced her that she was falling in love with him, and he said, you, if you really love me, you will let me. And she finally did. And he had AIDS. And she had one sexual encounter, and she died within a year with AIDS. It didn't kill him. He was still alive many years after that. But it cost her her life. 
one sexual encounter her first year in college. Within one year, she was dead. Now, that sin caught up with her very quickly. But some people run around like that for a long time. I know of another little girl that I dealt with over about a six-year period. She moved in with a young man that was not a Christian. And I went to see her three times in that six years. And I warned her every time what she was doing was wrong. And if she was a Christian, the consequences would be death. But she wouldn't believe me. She just absolutely did not believe the written word of the living God. And God let that sin go on until she had three babies. Over six years, she had three children, and she was not married to this guy, but she lived with him. And when she was 21, about a month after she had the third child, she went to bed with that boy and that baby, and the next morning, the baby woke up and the boy woke up, but she had had a heart attack during the night and was dead. And shes I know exactly where she's buried. I've seen her grave several times. And every time I go to the graveyard in Justin, when I look over there and I see her grave. And I think 21 years old, I went to her home three times to warn her that sin is going to bring forth death. And she would not believe me. But it brought forth death, just like the Word says. Heart just failed. No explanation. I'll tell you the explanation's right here in the book. It tells you exactly what you've got to do. But she would not believe. So it cost her her life. Now then, when he's talking about this, some men or people's sins, you know, some of these sins will go, they'll come up on you quickly, and others they will follow after. Likewise, also, the good work of some are manifest beforehand, and they that are... Uh, some of these, otherwise, these sins will go after you. But what he's talking about there, you know, some of you will produce good works and you'll get to see God do a great and wonderful thing, you know, right now. You'll get, you'll get a reward. Uh, you'll know that the Lord has blessed you somehow and you may be doing things and others will think, well, gee, I've served the Lord and He's never done anything for me. But, I mean, and some of you may not get your reward on earth, and, or some of you may only get your reward when you get to heaven. But you'll get your reward. But many of you will get your rewards here. The Lord made us a promise that if you leave anything on this earth for me and my kingdom, you will receive many times here on this earth. And so... I think something that really that we really miss there is that our confession is what prevents us from receiving these wonderful things from the Lord. I think our confession is off. I think we don't confess the right things. I don't think we spend enough time with God to know what His Word says. And so we don't know how to get these kind of things to work for us. So we go through life thinking we're serving God being about his business, going to church, but never really, you know, just consuming this book and believing what it says. We don't act on... It's kind of like you, uh, Oscar, when you said you're driving down the road and you're saying, that guy, he's going to kill somebody. See, your confession was wrong. And, and you know that now. You know that now. 
But see, when you acted on the dominion and authority you had in the name of Jesus, you were able to instantly stop a man. You know, now, up until then, you were doing it physically with a race in a, in a car, trying to catch a guy, which him running through Dallas, just like you know, he could run over anybody and kill anybody. He could run through an intersection. Who knows what he might do? And you know that and experience that regularly. But when you spoke the right words, God stopped him for you virtually instantly. And that's, that's a, something that's wrong with us. The reason many of us don't receive our rewards here, and they, some of them, our rewards have to follow after us later, is because we don't ever learn how to speak. But when you learn how to speak and claim things, I think about that pastor we spoke in that big church out in Abilene here a while back. That He said out there in that area, there was this big bowling alley out there, and it wasn't profitable at all. The people built a building that cost $4 million, and they just didn't, didn't make it. They were way out, and there was no houses anywhere close. And so all that was on that big main loop coming around Abilene, he said they didn't make it. And so after a few years, they had to close the thing down. And it sat there for, I think, nine years. And nothing happened. No property sold. Nobody built around it or nothing. And so he said, one day I was driving down the road and the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, you, that, you need to buy that building for a church. So he went and began to do it. And he tried everything. And he could not get the money. I mean, he just couldn't get everything to go. Finally, one day he told the Lord, said, Lord, I just... It's just not going to work. He said, the Lord spoke to me clear and said, that building is yours by faith. I mean, he said, I heard the Lord say that. He said, okay, now then I ain't never going to give up. I'm going to stand by faith. I don't care what anybody tells me. If I'm not going to get it, I'm going to say, no, I don't agree with that. I'm going to get it by faith in the name of Jesus. And he said, I kept standing. And one day, it's coming to the end of the year. These people had not even entertained an offer. Because I had never offered them, I forget now, what it was well under a million, a half a million or something, whatever it was. And this building had been appraised for four million. And he finally made them an offer and said, that building is mine. He said, call the people that own it and tell them I'm going to give them this and they're going to take it in the name of Jesus. And the real estate guy said, you're crazy. They ain't going to take it. He said, this was in the, the last of December. And he said, they called them. And he said, the guy told him, said, you know, this, this preacher, he's just kind of out there in left field. He said, he's going to offer you all this amount of money and that you all were going to take it. The guy said, I'll tell you what, with all the taxes and everything else that's coming up on it, if he can have the money by the 10th of December, which this was like the 1st of December, he said, if he can have that money, we'll sell it to him. And I don't remember the exact dates, but it was not just a few days. And when he called him back, he said, oh, God. Where in the world am I going to get this kind of money in 10 days? He said, Lord, I can't do it. He said, the Lord told you. I said, that building is yours by faith. He said, okay, I got it, Lord. I hate to be so dense, but I got it. You know, it's amazing. So he said, I started doing everything, praying and asking the Lord. And he said, it came down to the last day and I got the money. And he said, the building became ours. And he said, we bought that building. We moved into it. It's a big building. And they renovated it, spent about a half a million dollars, renovated, built a beautiful church out of it. And within 30 days after they signed the contract, every piece of land on that corner sold. And they built restaurants and, I don't know, a hotel and I don't know what all. 
But that, that, the Lord, He kept that corner of Abilene for His church. And He knew that, that outfit needed that church, but He knew that if He opened that land up and let everybody begin to buy that, that business, it would have flourished and they would have never sold it. In fact, if they did, they'd have wanted $10 million for it instead of a half a million or whatever it was. But see, some people's rewards will follow now and some will be later. You know, so, but you have to learn how to talk if you want your rewards to follow you now. Learn how to call God in remembrance of His promises. And when you do, you can have these things. I mean, it, it may sound crazy to you to say that you can have what you say with your mouth. But I didn't say that. Jesus did. The King said it. And so, I just believe it. You know, I mean, I believe God can do this. You know, I mean, it's just, it just, it's amazing what He can do. Now then, let's, after that, let's go to Timothy uh, chapter 6, 1 Timothy 6. Then He says, Let as many uh, servants as they're under the yoke count that, that with His uh, Master is worthy of all honor that the name of God and the doctrine be not blasphemed. You know, when you read that, you think, what is he talking about? But when you read that in the, in the New Living, in the NLT, you'll find out he's talking about somebody. Of course, down under the bottom here, it's got a little bit note there that says, if you're in slavery. So back in those days, some of the people that were in bondage or under the yoke, these people were slaves working for someone. And see, if you become a Christian and you're a slave... The Lord says you were to be the best you could be. You were to work diligently for that person. You know, you wasn't to try to get by with as little as you can. You're to do everything you can for whoever you work for. Of course, uh, and the next verse says, And they that have believing masters, let them not despise them, because they are brethren, but rather do them service, because they are faithful and beloved. Partakers of of the benefit, these things teach and if you will if you will do these things, not only do these things, but if you will teach and exalt, you'll do these things. In other words, you and I as Christians, if there's anybody in the world that ought to be a good employee it's a christian i mean i mean if you're a christian and you're not doing the best you can if you're not on time every time the door opens if you go to work for somebody you're supposed to be there at seven o'clock in the morning be there 10 or 15 minutes till seven you know i i think about a man one man i had one man that worked for me and that man worked for me for 25 years out at dfw airport and I'm going to tell you, I don't care if it was raining, sleeting, ice on the road, or anything else. For 25 years, that man was never late. Not one time was he ever late. I mean, one day something happened real bad, and he got there about 10 minutes till 7 when he was supposed to go to work. And I was already there, and he walked in. He said, man, I thought I was going to be late for the first time in my life. And I looked at my wife, I said, well, good grief, it's still ten minutes. He said, yeah, but I'll try to always be here at least a half hour before time to go to work. Always. 
But he said, I got hung up this morning, traffic and everything else, that I thought I was going to be late. But that man for 25 years was never late. You know, now, if you're a Christian, you, your goal should be to be the best at what you do. I mean, when somebody says, who is the best employee you got? I mean, if you're a Christian, the finger, I said, that guy right there, he's the best one I got. And somebody walk around and say, why are you the best employee he's got? He said, because I know Jesus and I'm trying to please the king. I'm not really trying to please my boss because I know if I please the king, I'm going to please him, right? And that's the way we should be as Christians. You should be the best at what you do. Nobody should have to watch you. I had an email from a lady the other day who wanted me to pray for her. She said, I got some of your teachings, and I was listening to what you were talking about, about being holy. And she says, uh, I have been cheating on my expense report for a long time. And she said, man, when I listened to your teaching, it convicted me, and I know what I've been doing is wrong. How many of you know that's wrong? You know what she was doing? She was stealing from her company. She was stealing. She said, what do I need to do? I said, you need to confess your sins to God. Then you need to go tell your boss what you've been doing. She said, I might get fired. I said, you should have thought about that before you started sinning. But I said, you need to make it up. You need to go back on your expense report and try to figure out what you stole from your company. And then you need to pay them, offer at least to pay them back. Somebody says, wow. But you know, I believe God requires that. That is, if you're a Christian. I mean, you know, if you're just a normal, everyday person, well, then forget it. You know, I mean, you know, you're not going to listen to what I teach anyway if you're a not believer, probably. Because you're not going to understand it if you hear it. You're going to think, this guy's crazy. He's saying, I've got to be holy. I've got to be pure. You know? I mean, I don't like being pure. I like having fun. I like stealing from my company. You know, my company don't ever know that when I go out and I go out to eat, they allow me $25. In fact, I don't know what it is now. It's what it used to be. In fact, the VP put out a memo one day years ago when I was still working in the uh, business world. He said, I want a receipt for everything every one of my staff spends money for. When you're out on the, on the, out in the field on a trip, when you send me an expense report, I want a stapled onto it expense item, a receipt saying where you spent this and what it's for. I don't want it just wrote on the expense report. I want receipts. Next time I was in Houston, I went in, and of course, I sent my first one in with all my receipts. And he said, oh, Thurman, he said, you can throw them away. That wasn't for you. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, I had to send that out to everybody. But he said, I got one man on my staff that I don't require an expense report or expense receipt from. He said, that's you. I said, well, why? He said, because you hardly ever have any expenses anyway. He said, when you go out, you never hardly ever go out to dinner. You eat in the kitchen, you know, the flight kitchen. You hardly ever have anything on your expense report other than your hotel bill. And he said, of course, it's there. I got that. And I know you're not cheating me on that. But he said, you don't ever cheat me in anything. But he said, I got some people on my staff that they're allowed a $25 expense breakfast, lunch, and dinner without a receipt. 
the company will approve a, up to a $25 expense. And he said, I have some people that have $25 for breakfast, $25 for lunch, and $25 for the evening meal. And I know they're lying to me. I know they ain't spending $25 for breakfast. So he said, those are the people I want the receipts from. He said, you forget it. He said, I don't care if you ever send me another receipt because your expenses are well within line anyway. Now see, are your sins going to catch up with you? Sure, they're going to catch up with you. They're going to catch up with you. Or you're going to be rewarded. You know, he actually rewarded me for that. You know, I mean, I didn't, I had never lied. I had not done anything. You know, but the way I got my rewards, there every year for several years, the company way back yonder had anywhere from a 5 to a 10% increase in salary every year for managers because things were changing very rapidly. And every year that we had a 10% maximum, I got a 10% maximum. Every year, my salary was increased 10%. Wow. But whenever they give me my appraisal performances, I never got one from the Marriott Corporation. In all the years I worked for them, I never got one that wasn't checked outstanding, outstanding all the way down on the right side. Now, why, you think those just came accidentally? No. I mean, why did I get those? Because I was working for the king. I wasn't working for them. I was trying to please my Lord. Everything I did, I did to the ultimate, thinking, Jesus, if you were right here looking at this job, how would I do this? Would I do this for you, or would I do this to please my boss? Well, Lord, I might do it one way to please him, but I know what you require. You said, do everything in excellence. Be ye perfect, as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. So I said, Lord, when I look at this earth and everything you made, you didn't cut nothing. You didn't cut no corners nowhere. You made everything perfect. So I want to be as perfect as I can in the business world. And so by being that and doing that, God rewarded me abundantly. I mean, He blessed my socks off. Has God a respect your persons? No. You know, I mean, I had guys that would we'd go out. In fact, one year, we had about ten regional managers. And we all went to Washington for a, a, a week-long meeting one year. And we was up there with the executive VPs and everything else. And one of the executive VPs that, that I worked directly for, he looked around the table and went around and he said, Bob, if I were to give you a 10% increase in pay, how could you be a better employee? And he told him. And he wrote to John. He said, John, I give you a 10% increase. How can you be a better employee? And he goes around the table to every one of them. There's 10 of us. And he comes around to me and said, Thurman, you're the last one. If I give you a 10% increase in pay, how can you be a better employee? I said, Mr. Martin, I give you 150% now. There's no way I can be a better employee. I'm giving you everything I can give you. He said, you get the raise. How about that? I got the raise. Nobody else got one. He said, the rest of you guys, he said, you go back and do what he's doing. He said, you're telling me how you can be better. He's doing everything he can. And I know he's telling me the truth. You go up, guys, and go back and do what you're supposed to. And next year, I'll give you a raise. But in the meantime, he's the only one going to get one. I thought, wow, I got rewarded. But I was working as hard. I wasn't working for him. I was working for Jesus. See, I'm trying to please Jesus. And I was pouring my heart out as unto Jesus, but I got my reward. See, 
I got my benefits now on the earth. But it follows you. So it's amazing, you know, when God tells you to do something in His Word, He means for you to do it. And so, now then, now that in the next in verse uh, uh, 3 here says, If any man teach otherwise. Now, unfortunately, you'll hear a lot of stuff out there that will be old wives' tales or fables. And somebody will say, but I, my grandmother said. Well, I don't care what your grandmother said, but my grandmother was the greatest Christian I ever knew. And she went to church and she said, well, if grandmother said it, you better check it out in the Word. Because it may not be true. She may have got it from somebody else too. But he says, if any man teach otherwise, if anything else that you teach, and if it's not good, wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness. In other words, if you're teaching a doctrine that's not a doctrine that's according to the words of Jesus Christ in this book and according to godliness, walking holy and purifying yourself from all evil, if you're teaching anything other than that, it doesn't line up with the Word of God. I mean, you know, we read just the other day when we was reading in the book of Jude, and I've seen a lot of people, just like Jude said, he said, there is men that have wormed or worked their way in among you that will teach you that now because of the blood of Jesus, it's okay to go back out and sin. Is there any kind of preachers like that today? Sure they are. There's lots of people who will say, oh, it's okay because of the blood of Jesus. In fact, this is where I hear it so often. Come in and say, you know, my son, he came down and got saved when he was 15. But, you know, now he's off at college and he's drinking and he's drugging and he's living with a girl and do all that stuff. I mean, what about him? He stopped going to church, everything. They said, well, that's okay. He can just go ahead and do that. God understands. He's saved. Once saved, always saved. He's under the blood. He's okay. Well, now I'm going to tell you, you know, I would hate to be that boy and die in that sin. Because I got a feeling this kid ain't going to like where he shows up. And I got a feeling he's going to show up in hell instead of heaven. Now, that's scary, isn't it? Now, one of the women that used to work for us, a great woman of God, we were sitting there in the kitchen there at the minister center one afternoon having dinner and talking about the Word. And I said, you know, in Galatians 5, the Word of God says that if we live in any of these sins, and you list a whole mess of them, I said, and one of them was adultery and, and fornication, but drunkenness and all kinds of sins, he lays out there in Galatians 5. He says, Paul said, as I have told you before, I'm telling you again, those people, and he's talking to the church, that do these things shall never enter the kingdom of God. You shall in no wise enter the kingdom of God. So I said, you know... We've soft-pedaled this gospel. I said, we've really soft-pedaled it, saying that, you know, once saved, always saved. You can do anything you want to do. But I said, Paul says in Galatians 5, I think it's about verse 22, somewhere along there where it all starts. I said, you shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And this girl that works for us, she said, you know, I, I am glad you're going to start teaching that. Because I said, when I was 18, I was met a young man. We're going to church together. And we fell in love, and so we decided we're going to get married, 
but, but until we get married, which is only six months off, and since it costs so much for two apartments, we'll just turn in one of them and we'll just move into one. And she said, we did. And of course, she said, when we moved into one apartment, we're going to get married in six months or whatever it was. We naturally started having a sexual relationship, you know, just like as if we'd gotten married. She said, we're listening to the Word of God. We're going to church. We're worshiping the Lord. And so one evening, I went for a walk by myself. And she said, I'm walking down the sidewalk, praising God, just worshiping Him. And said, He called my name and said, if you die in the sin you're living in, you will go to hell. And she said, I thought, Wow. She said, I turned around and went back down to the house and I walked in and told my fiancé, it's over. You ain't never touching me again unless you marry me. I said, God just told me if I die in this sin, I'm going to hell. And she said, you ain't worth going to hell for. She said, I'm not going to hell for you or nobody else. So she said, that's it. We're going to move out. I'm, you know, it's over. We can still be friends and date. You can be my fiancé, but there ain't going to be no sexual relationship. One day when you put a ring on his finger, and I say, I do, said, then we can come back home and go to bed together. But until that time, it's over. And so she said, I'm glad you're going to start teaching that. Because she said, I didn't know that. And she said, I moved in with that boy thinking, once saved, always saved. I think, okay, Lord, you know, I'm great, although I'm living in sin. But see, Jude... He tells us there is those kind of preachers, men, that will work or worm themselves in amongst you to tell you that because of the righteousness of Jesus and what Jesus did on the cross, once you get saved, it's okay for you to live in sins of sexual immorality. He said, don't believe them. Because the minute he said, their faith has already been determined and it will be in the lake of fire. That's scary too, isn't it? You know. But, I mean, that's, it's all right there in the Word. So, if God is teaching us something here, the doctrine that He's talking about, if any man teach otherwise than what I'm saying here, and consent not to wholesome words, even the works of our Lord Jesus Christ, even the works of our Lord Jesus Christ, what kind of works did Jesus Okay, words. Even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. What kind of words or works did Jesus have when He was here on the earth? Did He watch every word? Yes, He did. He was very careful in every word that He spoke and every work that He did also. He was very careful to be about the Master or about the Father's business. And to the doctrine which is according to godliness... The doctrine of godliness. Now then, you know when you look at the doctrine of godliness, there's not much room in it for sin, is there? You know how much room there is in the doctrine of godliness for sin? Zero. Absolutely zero. Somebody said, that good grief, we're just unworthy sinners saved by grace. You know we sin all day, every day. As long as you see yourself like that, you've got a problem. You've got a major problem. Your problem should be you should see yourself as a son or a daughter of the king with no sin in your life. That's where you need to be walking because that's what God commands. Today, when Dave and I was over at the airport, we were talking to two gentlemen, the airport manager and one of the FBO uh, uh, managers there. And I told them about 
One of the guys says, what, what do you all do? I said, well, I'm a pastor, you know, and I have a healing ministry. Well, that kind of docks everybody back. And I said, and this gentleman right here with me, he is one of those that have been miraculously healed from an incurable, lifelong disease. And so they're looking at Dave, and Dave said, that's me. I said, I had it all my life. And he said, I don't have it no more. And so we got to talking about this. Well, let me tell you, that changed to end our conversation of the afternoon. You know that? It changes everything you start talking about. You stop talking about airplanes and you start talking about Jesus. You know, I mean, you're at an airport. That's what people talk about is airplanes at an airport. But we didn't. We talked about Jesus over there the rest of the time before we left. That's all we talked about is the wonderful things that Jesus has done. I, did, I, I told him, I said, it does carry a lot more weight when I say I have a healing ministry and I go out and get people healed in the name of Jesus and I don't have nobody with me. And then I walk off and they say, well, I wonder who that old guy is. You know, we, I go to a church where nobody ever got healed. But when I got a man with me that was miraculously healed of an incurable disease and it was him and he can tell them, yes, it was me, that carries a little more weight, doesn't it? Yeah, just like Ray back there when Ray tells people that he serves a God that heals, he can say, hey, I've been there, I've done it, I had a stroke. They said I wouldn't get my whole one side of my body, and yet I did what God said in His Word. In the six months, I'm completely, totally healed without ever going to a doctor. That's wonderful, isn't it, Ray? But see, I mean, if you trust the King and let Him do what He promises, He'll do what He said. Every time He'll do what He said. But He expects you and me... To walk and teach this doctrine which is according to godliness. You know, no other way. Now, he is, it says if, uh, then he says, he is proud knowing nothing. In other words, if you don't teach this doctrine, you're proud knowing nothing, but going about. Oh, oh, doting. I see that. I'm sorry. But doting about. He is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh all these envy, strife, railings, and all these crazy things per. Think about this, what he's saying there. Look at this. If you don't teach this doctrine, which is according to godliness, what is he going to bring forth? What is he going to bring forth? Then it says, he goes on in verse 5, says, Perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds. Isn't it amazing? Stop and think about this a minute. And destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness, and from such withdraw yourself. there's There's a lot of people out there that's teaching these wrong things, and some people are teaching that if you're not blessed financially, there's far too many churches that are teaching this. I don't really like this. In fact, my son, this so turned my son off. 
that every time he turned the television on that was Christian, somewhere in the process they'd say, now, you know, we need you to buy this product or send us $50 or we're going to go off the air. And my son says, I hate that. I hate that when preachers do that. And I used to say, well, son, I said, you know, it takes money to run the kingdom of God. Well, Dad, I know that. But he said, you know, and I said, you know, when you take the business world, I mean, you know, you, you can't turn the television on more than five or ten minutes till they stop and have a commercial. You know, a commercial, they're trying to sell something. Because that's the way they pay for it. He said, but Dad, that's not the way we should have to do it as Christians. And so, finally, one day, of course, all this time, Timothy, from the time he was a little guy, he didn't like that. So when God put me in the ministry, myself, I thought, you know, my son is so turned off by the power of God because he's, he just don't believe it. And he's so turned off with preachers that ask for money. I thought, God... I'm walking in the power of God. I'm seeing your power on a regular basis. And it really has created a problem between me and my son. Because he just don't believe. Although he sees all these things, he he just believes the world. But I said, the part about the money, at least I can fall into the right category there. I said, Lord, I believe with all my heart if what you've called me to do if I give away everything and never talk about money, I don't care if I'm on radio, television, if I ever get there, I will never, ever ask anybody for money as a pastor. I said, Lord, I made a living as an engineer. And now then, I provided for my family fairly well. I mean, you know, I didn't have millions, no way close to it. But I had a nice home, a place, a nice car, and I had all our bills paid, and we lived quite well. So I said, Lord, I've been obedient. You've blessed me. So if I could do that in the business world, if you put me in the ministry, then I'm just going to, if I ever need money, I'm going to ask you, and I ain't going to ask nobody else. And if you don't pay my bills, then I'm going to go back to engineering. At least I could make a living engineering. So I never ask nobody for money. You'll never hear me on the radio. I've been on the radio for five or six years yet now. You never hear me ask for money. I don't ever even make an announcement about money. Don't even say. only thing I say is at the end, in the last 30 seconds of every show, if you'd like to have any of our teaching, if you'll contact us with a phone number or the ministry number uh, or the email, you know, or go to our website, we will send you anything we have free and postpaid. And that's all I ever say. Free and postpaid. And guess what? The ministry has never been in the red in its entire life. Never. Not one time. We have never been in the red. It just never ceases to amaze me what our Lord has done. I mean, I may need fifteen or twenty or thirty thousand dollars to buy equipment for the ministry center. And I just say, Lord, I gotta have ten thousand or fifteen thousand or whatever. And just like I was telling Ty the other day, I, I didn't even, I had the money in the bank to buy those two new printers. We had the 15000 I needed to buy them. That's why I went ahead and bought them. But at church, I just made a statement. I said, you know, we bought two new printers, high-speed printers for the print on our CDs and DVDs, and it cost about $15,000. And that's all I said. I got home that night, and it was a check in the box for more than a month money to pay for both the printers. One person paid for them. I didn't ask nobody. You know, 
when I told Tithe, he said, well, one thing that proves, Thurman, we're doing what God wants us to do. Because he said he don't move on people's heart for that kind of money, you know, unless you're about his business. So that's the whole thing. And it doesn't make it what we need in the ministry. If I go and ask the Lord, Lord, I need 15000 or I need 20000 for to do this or that. Ma'am, the check comes and he pays for it. Isn't that wonderful? You know, but God is in this business. And like I told everybody out there the other day, I said, what we all need to do, we need to make sure that without exception, whoever else answers the phone, when we get off the phone with that person, they need to know they've had an experience with God. That's the way we need to come across. Kind, gentle with the Word. With the words of Jesus. Because that's what He said here. We're supposed to have His words. So when we deal with people... They should have an encounter with the living God by the time we get off the phone with them. And hopefully, we will be able to get them healed with one, maybe two or three, because it's difficult to build people's faith. Now, Ty has a great faith, so when he prayed for that Baptist guy, he told him what to do, he did it, and God healed him. And that's wonderful. We, wish, we all wish we could see God do that every time. But sometimes it takes more than one trip for somebody to get it. But if you're teaching these things, it will happen. But some of them are teaching, you know, that gain is godliness, and from such withdraw thereof. In other words, if you're not blessed financially with a million dollars, then you're not about God's business. People teach that. But the Lord says, that's not me. That's not me at all. So he said, if they're teaching that, now they may, be, they have, may have a lot of money in their account, but they shouldn't be out flaunting it. And it shouldn't be out telling people, you know, that we got $10 million in the bank. And since we know we got $10 million in the bank, we know we're doing God's work because we got a lot of money. No, that's not it at all. Not it at all. God usually doesn't work like that. Usually He keeps you kind of, you know, down to put you to the test kind of regularly. And once in a while, He'll test you in the financial world. I mean, I've had a couple of weeks here a while back. I, had a, I didn't pray very much. And uh, all of a sudden, I had a week. It, it takes a minimum of ten to twelve thousand a week coming into our ministry to pay our bills. I mean, I got to have ten or twelve thousand a week. If I don't have, I can't pay all the bills, you know, because all the help I got and the utilities and and all the expenses that's out there, it takes ten to twelve thousand a week. You know, I mean, when I order or Philip orders two or three or four thousand dollars worth of CDs every week, then people want to check, you know, somewhere along the line. And so, and then, of course, I'm paying for all that stuff on a credit card, but once a month, then people want that money on that credit card. Can you imagine? They want me to, you know, pay that stuff. But sure enough. So anyway, here a while back, I had, uh, everything was coming in. We're having a little more than we need. Everything's good. The ministry's staying in the black, which we always stay in the black. But we were blessed a little bit. You know, we're going along there. And then all of a sudden, for about two weeks, we only got about half what we needed to pay the bills for the whole week. And I thought, whoa, God, what's going on here? Am I saying somewhere? Have I done something wrong? It really drove me to my knees. Lord, a couple more weeks I'm going to be in trouble if this keeps going. You know, I can handle this for a little while, but I can't keep this up very long. I said, Lord, if I've done anything wrong, you know, I want to repent now. And I want, to, I want you to know that I love you, Lord. Because these people that work for me, they want their money every week. And these people... I got to pay my bills every week, and I, I ain't going to have it no other way, Lord. If I'm serving you, I know you got enough money to meet all of our needs. So I said, Lord, if I've done anything wrong, 
I repent and I believe by faith. And I ain't confessing nothing to nobody but you. But Lord, I ask you to, if I've done something, forgive me and restore me and let me let the, the money start coming in again so that I don't keep going downhill every week. I've gone downhill two weeks in a row with only half what I need to pay the bills. So I said, Lord, I trust you and it's over and I consider it done. Well, the next Sunday we had a humongous offering. I mean, over the next week, had a humongous offer with the money that comes in from the letters and everything else. We got almost triple that week what we needed for a week. So, see, God is just awesome. You know, you, you come to Him and you repent. You tell Him you're sorry, and He blesses you. And uh, it, it's just, it's just, it's, it's just so amazing what God does. But He'll put you to the test once in a while, won't He, Deborah? Yes, He will. He'll put you to the test. To find out, do you know, are you willing to ask me, do you know I'm still here? In fact, I believe that if you're a man of God, or a woman of God, but usually it's men, preachers. If you're a man of God, and God is not blessing your ministry with enough money to take care of your needs, providing your needs are, you know, not extravagant. You're not going out buying a million dollar house or something like that. But if you're living normal and driving a normal car and everything else, but to meet your ministry needs to go and do what you're doing, if you're a son of God and God's not doing that, you need to check your life and see what you're doing wrong. I believe with all my heart that if you're about the king's business, doing what the king called you to do, that he will meet your financial needs week by week. You know, now, if I, if I need... $10,000 a week, he may not give me 100000 a week. But if I need 10000 he might give me ten or twelve, You know, or maybe even 15 But he'll meet our needs. And then he'll keep enough in their bank account to pay all of his bills. Because they're his bills. They're not mine. So if I'm about his business, but he gives me the, the responsibility to see that the money that comes into the ministry is spent properly and not wastefully. And so that's what we do. We do everything we can to be about the king's business. Now then he says, For godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. So now then, if you're a godly person, and whatever your, wherever your position is today, you should be content with your position. In other words, Maybe you got an abundance today, or maybe you don't have very much today, or maybe you don't have enough today. But you should still be godly, and you should be thanking the king for what you have. And if you do, he will meet your needs. But godliness with contentment is great gain. So we should be content. And what Paul told us, he said, you know, I've learned, you know, when I'm well blessed or don't have enough. I'm still okay with it. I'm okay. And when he walked without grumbling and complaining, God always met his need. Always met his need. Now, how would you feel if you'd been out there doing exactly what God says and you were feeling like you were being blessed and all of a sudden people were being saved and healed and delivered and all kinds of wonderful things. You were casting out demons like Paul did and healing all the sick on the Isle of Malta and everything else, and then all of a sudden you get off a ship and they come take you and put you in prison. How would you feel? 
Wow, this, this is a reward I get for preaching the Word? Well, thank goodness we haven't had to go to prison yet, have we? And we hope we don't. But you might. And because, see, Paul was in jail for preaching the gospel. Nobody wants to go to jail, but especially for doing good. Now, then, if we're out there doing bad, we expect it. But Paul wasn't doing anything but healing the sick, saving the lost, casting out demons, and doing miracles. And he had to go to prison. And then later, he really got a great reward. Now, some of you might not see it the way Paul saw it. But if you go on down to Jerusalem, they're going to kill you. And Paul says, good. Good. To live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, that's not exactly the way we look at it, is it? I mean... Come on down here, now that if you come down to Jerusalem, we're going to cut your head off. I mean, we don't, we don't look at it like that. But see, Paul had already been to the third heaven. He had already seen it. So he thought, wow, I'm fixing to get to graduate and go home to be with the king. So see, that's where you, that's where you have to live your life. You have to live your life knowing that if you're in obedience to His Word, nothing can take you out on this earth until God's ready. Nothing. That's just like that young man the other day that came to me and told me, he said, Thurman, when you told the story about how God speaks to you, he said, I don't have a problem with that because I've heard God's audible voice twice. He said, one time I was having a problem with my wife. And I was laying there in bed in the wee hours of the morning And I'm saying, God, what am I supposed to do with this woman? I mean, Lord. And he said, I heard God speak to me audibly. And he said, love her. Love her. He said, I've heard that the word. I've heard you teach it. But he said, it carried a whole lot more weight when God spoke it than it did when you said it. I said, yeah, I know. And then he said, another time, I was fixing to leave a place of business and I pulled into a little circle deal where there was a light there and said, I looked up and the light was green. So I said, I'm fixing to step on the gas to go right on through there. And I feel something tap me on the shoulder twice and said, call my name and said, look to the left. And he said, when I turned to look to the left, there was a big truck coming down the hill at least 50 miles an hour. He said, I slammed on the brakes and stopped right at the edge of the intersection when that truck went right in front of me at 50 miles an hour. He said, if I hadn't felt that tap and heard that audible voice say, look to your left, he said, I'd have pulled right out in front of that truck and I would have been instantly killed. So he said, when you say, there ain't nothing can touch me till God's through with me on this earth, he said, that's not difficult for me to believe. He said, when I've done everything God wants me to do, then if I start to pull out in front of a truck, He's not going to tap me on the shoulder. He's going to let me pull out there. And I'm going to lose my life. But see, who's in control? God is. He's in control. You don't have to be afraid. Now, if you go through your life living your life in fear, you're living in sin. You need to get rid of that. I don't care what you're doing. I don't care if you're driving a car. I don't care if you're walking. I don't care if you go down here to get on an airplane to go somewhere. I don't care what you're doing. If you're a Christian, you need to live your life with no fear. If that fear keeps bugging you, you need to drive that devil away from you. 
You know, speak to him. Command that demon to leave. Because you don't have to put up with him. He will torment you. He'll make your life miserable until he learns that you know that God has given you power and authority over him. And when you learn that, you repent of that sin of fear and you'll cast that devil of hell out in the name of Jesus. And then he'll go. And you won't have to live there no more. But when you learn who you are and what you can do, you'll find that nothing, just like the Lord Jesus told us in His Word, that if we believe Him, nothing shall be impossible with us. Absolutely nothing. We have a hard time with that, don't we? But Jesus is the one who said that. So if Jesus said nothing is impossible with us, then nothing's impossible with us. You know, absolute nothing. Then He says... <clears throat> For we brought nothing into the world. Absolutely. And it is certain we can carry nothing out. I think about today. This afternoon, Philip and Krista, that work for us in the ministry center, they, had, they brought into the world a little baby girl. Krista, her little, they had a baby girl this afternoon, late. I mean, she went into labor yesterday. But they did this at home with a midwife. They didn't. They have not been to the hospital at all, not at all. And the baby was born at home with a midwife. They didn't go and have those expensive ten thousand dollar doctor visits. They done it at home like we used to do it. You know, I was born at home. You know, my mother. All of her four children were born at home. But Phil and Krista had a little girl this afternoon at home. I thought, you know. As I'm saying here, God said, if we can't bring anything into the world, what did that little girl come into the world with? I mean, nothing. She's totally naked. She comes out of a sack of water where she didn't breathe at all and comes out in one second. She transfers from living in a sack of water to breathing air. Isn't that awesome? That God can do those kind of awesome things. But we come into this world bringing nothing, and when we leave we're going to take nothing. So don't get attached to the things of the world. I mean, you know, don't get attached to your clothes, to your cars, to your boats, or if you have airplanes or houses or whatever you have, don't get attached to them because when you leave, whatever you got, you're going to leave it all. In fact, I used to work for Mr. Marriott. And for many years I worked for the Marriott Corporation. He was a very wealthy man, had billions of dollars. And when he died, one of the men asked me, he said, I wonder how much he left. I said, all of it. All of it. I don't know how much he left, but he left all of it. I can assure you, he didn't take not one dime with him where he went. Not a dime. Because you ain't going to need it no way. But he didn't take anything. But the Lord says there clearly that we didn't bring anything into the world, and we can certainly cannot carry anything out. But he says, having food and raiment or clothes, let us be there with content. Food and clothes. Now, I think about this dentist up there at Louisville years ago. He come and talked to us one Sunday morning as a group of deacons. We had a men's breakfast, Saturday morning breakfast. And he came and talked to us. And he said, when I was a young man living in China... We didn't have to be like y'all are over here in America. Over in America, you know, we walk outside and you say, well, 
I wonder, am I going to drive the pickup to church tonight? Or am I going to drive this car to church tonight? Or am I going to drive this car to church tonight? You know, or let's see, let me walk up and open my closet. I wonder which one of these. Hmm. Well, let's see. Which one am I going to choose to wear tonight? I mean, we are so blessed in America. I mean, I can go to your women's closet. I bet you that not, I bet there's not a woman in here don't have at least three or four or five pair of shoes. And some of you may have 10 or 20 or 30 pair of shoes or more. And some of you may not have 10 or 20 dresses. Some of you may have 50 or 60. You know, I don't know. But I know guys are the same way. You know, I go up and uh, look. I had a little boy come out to my house one time and he walked up there and he Looked in my closet. Now, that's years ago when I just first got my house built, and I had a, I like to wear boots, you know. Of course, I got work boots and and dress boots and all kinds of stuff. And I had about a half a dozen pair of boots. And he walked up there and looked in my closet. He said, "Mr. Scribner, are those boots real?" Now I knew what he meant. I said, "No, son, they're just plain old leather." He said, he turned to his daddy and said, I thought so. I didn't think he had enough money to buy those kind of boots for real. <laughs> his daddy liked him. Will did. He, see, <laughs> see, the little guy, he looked at a pair of boots that looked like they're ostrich, you know. Well, he knew they cost four or five hundred bucks. You know, and here's another kind that looks like snake or something. You know, sometimes you pay three or four or five hundred dollars for them. He said, Mr. Scrivener, are all them boots real? I said, no, son, they're just plain old leather. I thought so. He said, Dad, I didn't think he had it up. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? You know, but God blesses us, does He not? And over here, and some people will say, well, I don't know what I'm going to wear to church. I don't have a thing to wear today. My daughter used to be the worst. <laughs> I, Daddy, I don't know what I'm going to wear. I don't have nothing to wear. And she had a closet 12 foot long, and it was packed in there from on the rod from end to end clothes. And I don't have a thing to wear. Oh, I'm so sorry for you, dear. <laughs> so sorry for you. Go up there and see if you can get something. But Daddy, I need to go buy something new. No. Go find something out of the closet. You know how easy it is for a girl to want to buy something new? Yeah, you girls, I know how y'all are. You've got to buy something new. But the Lord here says, now, this Dennis, what I started to tell you about him, he said, we didn't have to worry about what suit we were going to wear. We didn't have to worry about what car we were going to drive. Because when I was in China, we had one pair of clothes to wear. One. We washed it every night. And we put it back on the next morning. We wore the same thing every day. And when I went outside, I didn't have to worry about which car I was going to drive because there was no cars at our house. We walked everywhere. And when we really got affluent, we got a bicycle where we could ride a bicycle. Now, bicycle? I mean, who would even think about riding a bicycle? You know, nobody wants to have a bicycle in your yard to get to church with, right? How would you like to ride a bicycle to work tonight or to church tonight from where you live? No, thank you. I don't either. Do you, Eldon? All I got to say is I'd be ready for supper when I got home. I'll say that. <laughs> I'd really be ready for supper. Yeah, it takes us 45 minutes to get here in a car. I can, at 60 and 65 miles an hour, I can only imagine what it would take me to ride a bicycle here. 
But anyway, the Lord tells us whatever, we are to be content with what we have. If we have food and raiment, I mean, we should be happy. So don't, don't go out and grumble and complain because you don't have a new car. Or, or don't, I mean, today, our car is not an old car. By no means, it's a 2003. It's got 75,000 miles on it. And I told Cheryl last night when we got home, I said, honey, you can't drive a car no more until I fix that U-joint. She said, well, I just got to go to Dallas. I said, nope, nope, nope. It's vibrating. I feel it. I said, it's not safe, and I don't want you driving the car. So today, this morning, when I got up, I got up and I come to Louisville and got me a U-joint for it, and I went home and jerked a dry chef out of it and laid it down there. And, man, that front U-joint, one of those trunnions in that thing was nothing but rust. I mean, it was not a bearing left in it. And it's a 2003. It's only got 75,000 miles on it. You know, it shouldn't be no way, you know. And so, so we got a 100,000-mile a, a warranty on our car, but you have to pay the first $100. You know, so I thought, hey, instead of taking it down and letting them fix it and pay them 100 bucks to fix it, I went and got me a U-joint myself, and that U-joint was only 12 bucks, and it took me a whole sum of 30 minutes to fix it. So, I mean, you can save a little money when you can do your own repairs, right? But the thing about it is, I didn't grumble and complain about having to fix it. I praised God for the car. I praised Him for the ability to run 75,000 miles with no problem. And then I praised Him for the money that He had given me to have the money to spend the 12 or 13 bucks it cost for that front universal joint. And it praised Him for the ability He's given me and the tools I had to fix it. Amen. And so I was all about praise. You know, so he said, be content if you just have food and clothes. Well, I got a whole lot more food and clothes. I got a house, a roof over my head. I got, you know, a bed to sleep on. You know, I mean, it's easy to praise God, isn't it, brother? I mean, I mean, we got, we got a beautiful little house. You know, I mean, it's, a, it's just, uh, some people would, if you've ever, never been out to our ministry center, if you haven't seen the little place that I built, Cheryl, her mother calls it a tin shed. You're going to live in a tin shed? She said, yes. I'm going to live with my husband in a tin shed. Our ministry center is made out of steel, metal panels, you know. And I put a little addition on the back side of it, which is metal panels. I did put a window, in the, double window in the front of it. But it's, it's gavelum metal on the outside, top walls and everything. But when you walk in, it's beautiful. You know, it's got beautiful carpet on it. It's got the walls painted and a beautiful. And we did a good little job on that. And the entire 1,500 square feet, only air conditioned, heated, and everything, only cost me about thirty thousand dollars to build. Now, hey, that's not bad for 1,500 square feet. You know it. But see, that's amazing what you can do when you have the knowledge and the wisdom, and the ability to do all this stuff yourself, and when you have the equipment. It's real easy to build yourself a nice little house, very inexpensive. In fact, Dave, when he watched me do the whole thing and take pictures and everything, he said, I've learned how to build me a house a whole lot cheaper by watching you build this one. But that's amazing what you can do. But I am very content, and I think my wife is too, very content with our little home. You know, we don't live in a mansion that some people say, "Woo, look at that big mansion. No, it's just a little humble dwelling, but it sure is nice and warm and cool or whatever. We've got a beautiful little house. 
You know, and I and I love it, and she loves it. So we're very content with our tin shed. You know, so. <laughs> but anyway, I mean, I'm not trying to please anybody in the world but Jesus. You know, uh, I'm not trying to. I could have went out and went in debt and built a two hundred thousand dollar house and been making payments on it and insurance and everything for the rest of my life and never got it paid for. But I'd rather not do that. You know, so I'd rather just build what I can. And we're very happy with it. But the Lord tells us, be content with whatever we have. If we have nothing but food and raiment, we should be content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation. Hmm. But they that will be rich fall into temptation. And into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction. And how do you say that word? Perdition. 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 For the love of money is the root of a little bit of evil. Oh. Oh. The love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. How many people have you known in your life that said, I don't have time to go to church? I have to work seven days a week to make my business go. I don't have time for that. My wife and kids can go to church, but I don't have time for it. I've got to have my $100,000 yacht out there on the lake. Or $200,000 yacht out on the lake. I've got to have my $5 million house. Ty and I heard a man, Ty, if I didn't hear that guy wrong the other day, he said that he built the biggest house in some city, and the one of the rooms was a hundred by a hundred. Is that what he said? He built a house that had one room in it that was one hundred by one hundred feet. One room. What do you do with a room like that? You know how big a hundred by a hundred is? That's ten thousand square feet. And that's only one room in his house? But he said, I built the biggest house in whatever city it was in one room, and it was a hundred by a hundred. But he said, you can't be happy even if you got all that and you're sick and afflicted. That's what he said. That's what he said. So what good is it? I mean, just think now, here is a man. But of course, praise God, he found Jesus after this. And he's totally changed. He was at our teaching the other day in Longview. But before, evidently, that he found Jesus, he was a businessman in the world, and he was driving himself to get to become filthy rich. And obviously, he'd done a pretty good job if he built the biggest house in some town, and one of the rooms was a hundred by a hundred. Now, I've heard of some big rooms, 
But I ain't never heard of a house with a room in it that's a hundred by a hundred. I mean, I, I don't, I can't imagine. I'd hate that to vacuum a ten thousand square foot house. I mean, just, I mean, a ten thousand square foot room. Most that's a house that went with it. Wouldn't you? But you'd have to have hot and cold running everything. You know, to be, you'd have to have four or five maids or butlers or whatever to take care of a house like that. But he said, when I was sick and afflicted, it didn't do me any good to have all of this stuff. Now, see, this is what this guy had done. He had, he had sought the riches of the world and he'd pierced himself through with many sorrows. And here he is sick and afflicted and dying and he comes to know Jesus. Well, Jesus forgave him and healed him, and now then, he's a totally different man. In fact, this guy told us that after all the problems he'd had, he said, with God, after I came to the Lord and got to know the Lord and started serving Him, he said, the Lord woke me up one night at 1 o'clock in the morning and wrote a formula on the wall for a product that he said, I have made 100,000 people rich with this product. Wasn't that what he said, Doc? A hundred thousand people. And you know what it was? Soap. Liquid soap. Yep, that's it. That's exactly it. You use it, do you? Yeah, it's great stuff. Oh, yeah, you use it too, do you? Yeah, lots of people use it. Miracle 2. Miracle 2. He was the man that invented that. And he said, God didn't write the chemical formula on the wall for me because I couldn't have understood it. He said, you put one cup of this and one tablespoon of this and write ever. And he said, he wrote it out as to what I'm supposed to put in this. And he said, we have seen people healed and set free and their lives changed and everything imaginable with a miracle to soap. And he, he's the one that invented it. And he said, the formula came from God. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, it's amazing. When God tells you to do something, you better do it because He's fixing to do something with it. He has a plan. And I'm sure, I don't know, but I feel like if He made 100,000 people rich, He must be pretty well off Himself. Would you think so, brother? I would think so. But how many of you know God calls every one of us to do something different? You know, every one of us has something different. And He didn't call every one of us to be millionaires. He called every one of us to be blessed, but He didn't call all of us to be millionaires. But if He gives you a million dollars or ten million, He expects you to use it for His glory. You know, don't let it become your love. Because if you let it become your love, then, hey, you're going to pierce yourself through with many sorrows. A lot of people say, hey, you want, I want to find out what I made out of Just give me a million dollars. You know the reason I ask, have you got a million dollars? Well, no, I can barely make it on the 25000 I make a year right now. I say, are you tithing? I could never tithe off what I got. That's why you ain't got a million. That's why you ain't got it. Because God says, if I can't trust you with a little bit, I'm, how in the world do you think I could trust you with the things of the kingdom, greater things? Somebody said, well, just if God would only give me a chance. Well, see, He knows your heart. In fact, I read an article in a newspaper here a while back. Uh, I, I don't hardly ever read a newspaper, but this one on the front page. It says, is winning the lottery the answer to your quest, your problems? I thought that's interesting. I'll see what that says. It took the last ten people in the state of Texas 
that had won a multi-million dollar lottery. And you know what kind of complications it had caused in theirs and their family life? It had ruined or destroyed every one of them but one. Out of ten, somebody said, give me a million dollars. Hey, it was in there where men and women had been living together 20 years, raising their family, and they won a $10 million lottery, and immediately the man or the woman divorced the other one and went their own way. And it, I mean, it's amazing what people do when they got money. They're crazy. I mean, some of them literally go nuts when they get money. And that's why you ain't got it. You know, God knows that you don't know how to manage it, so He ain't going to give it to you. Is that right? You know? And if, in other words, if the love of money is your God, chances are you're never going to be rich. But if there's not anything wrong with money, you know, you've got to have it. But, you know, you've got to use it for the glory of God. You know, you can't use it, you know, to, I mean, if, if, if you had a good job and you're making $50,000, $100,000 a year and you don't go to church or you say you do go to church, you say, I can't give God that. In fact, I know a man that one year I went out to see him. He was having all kinds of trouble making. He got back from Vietnam like I did. And he was going to church at Lakeland where I went to church. And I was a deacon there. And he got down and out. And so I went to see him. And his business was failing. He didn't have enough money. And I said, you know, are you a tither? He said, Thurman, give me a break. I give about $20 a week. I said, but, I said, but how much do you make? He said, well, I was making about 600 a week. But he said, now then I'm down to about four. And he said, I can't get by. I said, tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to read you a verse of this word where it says in Malachi 3, God says, put me to the test. I said, I ain't found no place else in this book where he says, put me to the test. But right here. But I said, you put him to the test. You ask him to forgive you for not tithing. And you start giving God 10% of everything you make starting today. And you see what God's going to do. And I said, I guarantee He'll bless you. I said, if He don't, I'll pay your bills. I've made that to two different people in my life. And both times God's come through for me. Thank you, Jesus. (laughs) Thank you, Jesus. (laughs) I really stepped out twice. In fact, the second time I did this, I had sold a house for about eighty or $90,000. I forget how much. been so many years ago. I sold a house to a man that I had paid for. And I was going to carry the note. He paid me $10,000 down on the house. And he paid me very beautifully for about five years. And then his, his business started failing. And for a year, he didn't make a single payment on the house. He'd tell me, I thought, I'm going to be able to make it next month. But he never did. After a year, I went over one afternoon. He's lived in my house now for a year with not a single payment. I went over and sat down with him. I told him, I said, you know, you say you're a Christian, but do you go to church? He said, well, uh, sometimes. I said, but you don't go all the time. He said, no. And I said, do you tithe? He said, no, I don't tithe. I said, well, that's why your business has failed. I said, I'm going to tell you. I said, here in Malachi 3, the Lord said, put me to the test and try me. And see if I won't open the windows of heaven and pour the blessing you can't contain. He said, but Thurman, I don't believe that. I said, but I believe that. I believe that. Because it's in God's Word. I said, tell you what, do. You start tithing today. And if three months from now, you can't make the payments on my house. 
and you still owe me. It's like fifty or sixty thousand dollars he still owed me on that house. I said, You start tithing today and you go to church. Every Sunday you repent and you ask God to forgive you and you start giving him at least ten percent of your money every Sunday. And if three months from now you can't make the payments on this house, I'll give you the note free. I'll give you the house. Do you think that's what you call believing your God? Are you willing to do that? I did. I told the man, I said, if you'll tithe in three months, you can't make the payments on this house. I'll give you the fifty or 60000 that you owe me. I'll give you the house and sign it over to you free if God don't do what He said. And within three months, he was making the payments and he never missed another one until he sold that house. That's another one of those times. But I knew my God would come through for me. I didn't have a doubt that He would come through because His Word declares it. If His Word declares it, you know that's what's wrong with us. We don't believe what this book says. We don't believe it. But if you trust Him, then you can do the same thing. You can tell people, God said it right here. If you'll do it, I believe He'll do what He said. That's just exactly like Dave back there. When Dave came to me a few years ago, I promised him, guaranteed him, if he would do what God said do in His Word, even though he had a lifelong incurable disease, I guaranteed him that Jesus would heal him. And he had a problem with it. But he started acting on it. And sure, it took him 18 months. But for a man that had an incurable lifelong disease today that's completely, totally healed, let me tell you, all you've got to do is say Jesus and Dave's hands goes up. It's easy to praise the King. It's easy to praise the Lord. You know, it's just like why Phil and Krista could have the faith to have their baby at home without a doctor. It's because Phil, 12 years ago, was I prayed over him as a little 11-year-old boy. And God took every ward off his body and every scar where they had burned them off. Took every one of them off completely, totally within four weeks. And he's never forgot that. He knows that. He knows if he prays and walks in obedience to God's Word that God will show up for them. So they prayed and stood on God's Word and was not a doctor, just a midwife. Today brought their beautiful little girl into the world without any problems. When you trust Him, you know what happens now? And I hate to say it, far too many women, they get tired of being pregnant. It's close to the time for the baby to be born. Within a week or two, they go in and induce labor and have the baby. And you know what? There's usually something wrong with that child when you do that. Not always, but a lot of the time there's something wrong with a child when you didn't let God do His thing. You tried to become God. Too many people do that. We need to let God be God. Whenever that baby's ready, He'll come out. You don't have to force Him. If you'll trust God and pray over Him, you know, you won't never have to worry about one being born with a cord around their neck or nothing like that. All you've got to do is be obedient to the King. Serve Him. Do what He says. He will bless Everything you do. A lady the other day asked me a question. She said, from what you teach, i got to have an answer. She said, I'm a missionary who goes to a foreign country, and we make filters. And they wanted money for us to give them money to build these filters to filter the poison out of the water. She said, if what you're teaching is right, then why do we have to filter the poison out of the water? I said, because the nation is disobedient to God. See, God said in His Word, if you as a nation will serve me, I will bless your food and your water. I said, what's wrong? They're not serving God. 
That's why the poison's in the water. That's why you have to filter it out so the babies don't die. Because God is not blessing the water and the food because of sin. I said, now you stop sinning, and then they shouldn't come to God, and I guarantee the rains will come right. You know, the crops will produce, because God said it. If He said it, that's just like Ty says, he said, I don't know what we've done wrong. Well, I'm going to tell you, it's not his fault, but over here in the area where he lives on this side of Dallas, I mean, there's been a drought. I mean, there's not been any rain. I went over there and drove over his place with him the other day. The tanks are all dry. I mean, mud holes. I mean, there's no grass. But nobody's got any in the whole area over there. Why? It's because of sin. You know, sin is what brings droughts or floods either way. Now, I know Ty has prayed and fasted and everything. But there's been so much sin all over that even his prayers of fasting and praying has not been sufficient to overcome all the rest of all the sins over there. That's why there's not been any rain. In fact, he told me the other day, he said, this is the first time ever that I've never been able to, to pray and fast and not get my answers on, on rain on my place. But you know how much wickedness is out here in our nation right now? You know, when you hear a story like we heard the other day, I think Rosemary's the one who told me the other morning, coming to work at the minister center, she's listening to the radio, and the media and the Democrats say we want the Christians, those people that are, you know, you know, they're kind of wild. We don't want them to come to the polls and vote. <laughs> you guess not, huh? If the Christians don't come and vote, guess who's going to get in there? Well, the Democrats or the liberals or whatever you want. The people that do not believe in God. I mean, let's put it this way, folks. When we as Christians, the good people, do nothing, sin is going to prevail. So you just sit home and do nothing and don't go vote. You don't check out the voter's guide. You don't go, you go to the uh, dots and uh, the uh, fo- focus on the family website or one of the others, the Freedom Free Market Foundation. Free Market, uh, yeah. You go to one of those places and you check out the voter's guide and you learn who to vote for. In fact, I think if you want to vote, uh, uh, I think you can absentee. I think you can vote right now, can't you? I think it's already on right now. You can go vote absentee uh, if you want to. But check out your people and go vote. You know, if you want to do it now, you can, I understand the way it is right now. If you're, if you're just a normal person, you can go vote anywhere during the absentee voting. But when it comes to the day that, you know, the day of the election, you have to vote at your actual precinct or whatever. But, you know, right now you can vote anywhere. So just take your voter registration card and go and say, I want to vote. And they'll give you a deal and vote. But when you go in there, make sure you know who you're voting for. You know, read the stuff and learn who you're voting for. Because we want to make sure that we as Christians, I understand from Dr. Dawson that only about 60% of the eligible Christians voted last year or last election. Well, don't let that be the case. Don't let you be one of the 40% that didn't vote. Let's go vote. And make sure that we check out who we vote for. So, I realize I looked, just happened to look up, and it's exactly 9 o'clock. It's amazing how quick that time comes and goes. But Father, in the name of Jesus, we ask you, Lord, to touch our hearts with your word tonight. Help us to walk holy and obedience to your word in everything we do. 
Lord, knowing that you are the great and mighty God that is, is holding back or releasing all of our blessings. And Lord, as long as we do what you say, you will bless us and bless us abundantly. And Lord, we're so grateful, so grateful that you provided us with health and you've, you bore our sickness, removed our disease. You bore our sins. You took everything so we don't have to be under none of that stuff so that we can walk under the blessings and the benefit package of God where you're the one that forgives all of our iniquities and you're the one that heals all of our diseases and you're the one that crowns us with loving kindness. You're the one that blesses our mouth daily with good things and you're the one that renews our youth like the eagles. So thank you for this great and awesome benefit package and help us all to walk in that and believe that and act on it and call you in in remembrance of these promises, Lord, as we go throughout this week so we can be on fire for you and the people that we're around this week Everybody we touch, for the lost or saved, they know they've had an encounter with the king when they were in our presence because you're in us. So thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.